Hello and welcome. My name is Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Emma Drady. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thanks, Karen, so much for having me. So you're a naturopath and you specialize particularly in women's hormones and also thyroid issues. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's my main area that I love to work with. Of course, happy to help anyone that comes through the door, but they are my main, yeah, my main sort of specialties. So Okay, first of all, give me a little bit of background about yourself and why you chose Mm -hmm. to specialise in those areas. Mm -hmm. I think like many naturopaths, we, I guess we go down the the route of studying solutions for our own problems. (laughs) So for me personally, hormones and the menstrual cycle has been my biggest challenge, um, my biggest health challenge in life. So when I went to university or when I first started exploring natural medicine and exploring different um, ways of treatment and different ways of living, it was really to help myself. And then all of the beautiful knowledge that I learned, I really just wanted to share that with other people. And then with the thyroid, that comes from a personal connection as well. My mother has a thyroid condition. It was something that she struggled with for many years. And it wasn't actually until I went to university and started learning about it that I found out exactly what was going on and we were able to get her a proper diagnosis. So this had been 10 years in the making. And then when I started studying, we worked it all out and she is essentially in remission now. And I don't want to say completely cured because that's not really a thing, but yet she's thriving and doing really well from natural therapies with the help of some modern medicine as well. So the combination of the two work really well together. And that's, yeah, I guess that's a bit about what brought me into why I love those topics so much because of the people that I've helped and the special sort of personal connection that I have with both of those areas. I was reading your website before. And I know a number of women, Mm. particularly around perimenopause age, who've suddenly discovered Mm -hmm. that they've got thyroid issues, undiagnosed thyroid. I don't know whether they've had them for a while or whether perimenopause is one of the things that instigates the thyroid issues. I don't know. But it's interesting how, how it tends to slip in with menopause and be missed because of all the other stuff that's going on with the hormones, you just might attribute whatever's going on to, oh my goodness, my stomach's not right anymore. I can't sleep properly. I'm not doing this problem. I'm tired all the time. How do those two things tie in? Was your mum at perimenopause age when she discovered she had thyroid issues? Yes, it's really interesting that you have made that connection because it is definitely a link between our hormones and our thyroid. And our thyroid is also a gland that produces hormones itself. They're just not our reproductive or our sex hormones. But essentially, the two most common times that I see the thyroid go a little off balance or go into a full-blown condition, either overall underactive, is often in the two biggest hormonal shifts that women will experience, and that's just after pregnancy um, or during perimenopause and the menopausal shifts and changes that are happening with those hormones. So the reason is that 
the thyroid itself sits on that same sort of feedback loop in the body as our ovaries do and our adrenal glands as well. So all of those three glands that are producing hormones constantly are governed by that same part of the brain. So when we see one of those hormone hormonal systems shift for whatever reason, um, we often see one or both of the others also shift. So in perimenopause, when we see that huge fluctuation in hormones and that real change in what was a pretty steady cycle, um, the thyroid then gets um, impacted by that. And I think also why it's, I guess, misdiagnosed or undiagnosed is because the symptoms are really vague and they're really easily dismissed. Unfortunately for women, we're just told, oh, that's just busy mum. That's just what it feels like to have a, a bunch of kids and a partner and a job and running a household and all the things that women do all at once. We expect ourselves to feel a bit tired or for us to maybe put on a little bit of weight or any of those other sort of symptoms that are really typically thyroid related. So it really gets missed because we just put it off to aging or we put it off to, yeah, just being busy. I think that perimenopausal stage is when we really start to, to realize, hang on a second, something is definitely wrong with me. And perhaps maybe the kids have left home or they're getting a bit older and you can concentrate a little bit more on yourself. So yeah, that's another thing that I see pop up so much in in women of that sort of age bracket too yeah it's interesting isn't it because we do keep saying oh I'm just a bit tired I haven't slept well we would rather make an excuse than or I don't know whether it's we rather make an excuse we make excuses rather than do anything about it because we've already got enough on our plate the last thing we need Mm -hmm. (laughs) is to have something that we actually need to deal with as well yeah yeah absolutely so why does some, tell me the difference between an underactive thyroid and an overactive thyroid and why does some women get because there's a huge proportion of women get thyroid problems I was just reading on your website something like 1 in yeah. 30 isn't it why do yeah. some women get underactive and some women get overactive and do we know what the causes are other than the hormones just being doing what hormones do at perimenopause time why you get over or why you get under I don't think we know why one person will flip one way or the other. Underactive is way more common um, and oftentimes when you do have overactive, you can flip over into underactive. With overactive, it is a little bit more, I guess it's a little bit more urgent and a little bit more of a, a little bit more seriousness to it in the sense that I guess everything really speeds up in the body, including things like heart rate and blood pressure and all of that kind of thing too. So it often escalates much quicker than an underactive thyroid. And most people that are treated for overactive will then flip over into underactive, unfortunately. But in terms of why you go one way or the other, I don't think they actually know. But some of the causes, the most common cause in this country, and I suspect in many other Western developed countries, is autoimmune influences. So that would be Hashimoto's for the underactive patients and Graves' disease for the overactive patients. So that's the number one cause in Australia. But then there's all these other things that seem to influence the thyroid. And I think it's one of those things that we're just really starting to understand a little bit more about the causes of things. 
in general, not just even thyroid, but really the environmental factors that influence on our health. So things like heavy metal exposure and chemical exposure. So some professions or even locations where you live, where there's lots of heavy metals or chemical exposure that can sometimes influence on the thyroid. As we saw back in, in Chernobyl, with all of that radioactive substance, there was a higher percentage of thyroid conditions in that area and around the area than anywhere else in history. So we can see that things like that kind of pollution can really impact on the thyroid. Even things like, which I know a lot of women have, like mercury fillings and that kind of heavy metal exposure as well. Other things that seem to influence are things like viral infections, um, poor gut health, low nutrient intake. So really specific nutrients are essential for thyroid function. So if you're a bit low in some of those nutrients, that can start interfering with the way that the thyroid's producing hormones. So really there's lots of there's lots of things that are somewhat in our control. So when we find out we have a thyroid problem, there's plenty of options that we can explore dietary and lifestyle that can really improve the thyroid function from then on. So in terms of, you said autoimmune problems were one of the biggest causes mm. or, or one of the biggest factors in thyroid problems. Okay, okay, let's go back another step. How do we start with the autoimmune disorders? Where the, do they come from? What causes them? That's honestly the million, the million dollar question. I feel like autoimmune conditions are really exploding at the moment. And they're so common, particularly, I would say, over the last few decades, more so than they were earlier on. And I think that is predominantly environmental as well. We do know that certain viral infections can influence autoimmune conditions and we do know things like leaky gut and gut disturbances can influence autoimmune conditions as well. But the reason why someone will get one autoimmune condition and not the next, that's another thing that we don't know why. But one thing we do know is if you have an autoimmune condition, unfortunately, your risk of having another one increases and the risk of that falling within the family also increases. So it doesn't mean you'll have one, but if your mum or your dad or your grandma or someone in the family line has an autoimmune condition, we're at a greater risk of that. And so we just need to take a few more precautions in our diet and our lifestyle and the way that we live to try and avoid that. But why? I don't think anyone knows yet. I think that's still what we're trying to work out. But my hunch is something to do with the fact that I guess, as a nation, or not a nation, just in general, <laughs> we've exposed ourselves to things like more plastics and more chemicals and our food's not as organic as it maybe once was and our farming practices and even the quality of water that some of us are exposed to. So all of those things that come with sort of modern development have really influenced our health. But yes, no definitive reason at this present moment. <laughs> So that leads me nicely onto the other thing that you said, which was if we're lacking in certain nutrients, mm. that can have an impact on your thyroid function. What are those? Because this all ties in with the whole environmental thing, doesn't it? And particularly mm. in Australia, I have to say, because we have rubbish soil <laughs> naturally uh, because yes. the, the land is so old. So there are some deficiencies that we have to proactively 
do something about that you wouldn't if you just ate a healthy diet normally you still have to take supplements and things don't you do you yeah yeah that's right it is it is one of the unfortunate things about living in Australia and trying to eat locally and supporting Australian farmers is that our soil is it is quite deficient in a lot of minerals and nutrients that some other countries have so some of the main nutrients that are really essential for thyroid function one of those is iron and interestingly a lot of women almost every woman to be honest that I see on a day-to-day basis in in clinic is quite low or completely deficient in iron and I I do know that of course as women we are much more susceptible to this because of our cycles throughout our lifespan and losing iron through our bleeds however I think as as a nation, we don't eat much red meat as women. I think men tend to, in very generalized terms, men tend to eat a lot more red meat than women do. And that's one of our best sources of iron. Of course, we can get iron from lots of other places like vegetable sources and other seafoods and chickens and things like that too. But red meat really is the best source. So if we're losing iron through our blood and we're not eating it in our diet, we're going to be deficient. And that's a really important one for thyroid function. The thyroid also uses other nutrients like selenium, zinc, and magnesium. Vitamin D is another really essential one. And surprisingly, in this beautiful sunny country, because we are also sun safe, um, most of us don't get enough vitamin D anymore. So that's another kind of <laughs> contradictory part of being an Australian is that we live in this beautiful, sunny, vitamin D rich location, but most of us are are covered up all the time. So we're not getting it. And then the final one, which is probably one of the most important is iodine or iodine. And so that is predominantly found in, in sea vegetables, which most of us don't eat much of, to be honest. So things like your seaweeds and kelps and that kind of thing. It is also found in some seafoods, Um, but in terms of us getting it from food that we're growing in our soils, it's pretty much, it's not there. Yeah. So it's one of those things that many of us will have to supplement or we'll just have to make a really concerted effort to be eating more of those iodine-rich foods. So there's lots of wonderful products out there now that have seaweeds and things like that added into them, like seaweed salts and things like that. So even just incorporating little little things like that can go a big way because iodine, we don't need a big dose of. Really, it's only a small dose every day, but that's one of the biggest ones. That's one, Yeah, that's one thing that I see deficient in a lot of people. So when you ha- you do all the blood tests and everything for people to find out, because I know when I've been to the doctor before and I've had the blood tests and they'll say, oh, you're in the towards the low end of the range in this, but you're okay. Usually iron, I've got to say. I do not create mm-hmm. iron very well at all. I need to eat red meat. And, and then I'll go to the naturopath and the naturopath will go, oh my goodness, no, you need to do this and this because that's too low. I know it, the doctor said it's within normal range, but in actual fact, it's a problem. And there's that kind of difference, isn't there? What the medical profession considers to be uh, a bit low, but okay, 
in natural terms, where you all come from, it's really not okay, is it? So do you do all those blood tests and then how, what do you do from there? How do you talk to me about what you consider normal and not? And because if somebody's been to the doctors, I'm rambling here. If somebody's been to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you're okay, they wouldn't necessarily go to see a naturopath and find out a bit more. But I think this is important because these minerals that we're talking about are so tiny in amounts and the levels are so small. You might think you don't need them, but you're saying here that they're actually crucial in tiny amounts. So let's go down. Let's have a look at that. Talk to me about that for a minute. Yeah, so I definitely do all of those testing um, options with my patients. So if they've had blood tests done through their general practitioner I'll have a look at what they've already had tested but you're right in the sense that we do use really different reference ranges and the reference ranges that are given through the GP through the hospital through just a standard sort of medical route are they're created off the average population so what I find really challenging about this is that the average population unfortunately isn't the picture of health. So we've, we're comparing our own health to average Joe down the street. And do we want to do that? Naturopaths use optimal ranges. So we have a particular range that we think is optimal for good health, which is often a lot more narrow than the ranges that you'll get through those kind of standard blood tests. Interestingly, with that kind of average um, population result as well, what I've seen in just the last few years is that those ranges are actually expanding and they're getting more broad and they're getting wider, which is quite interesting to, to see over just a, a short few years. I've seen the iron reference range really expand the lower limit for ferritin, which is our storage form of iron, used to be 30. And I'm seeing it more and more pop up on blood tests now as 15. So what that's telling me is that the average population is much lower in ferritin. And so therefore, they've adjusted those reference ranges. So I don't want people to be at 15. I don't want people to be at 20. I don't even want people to be at 30. I want people to be much further into the middle section. And so that's where I'll be looking for the results to be. So that would be your own experience when you're saying that when you've been to the naturopath, they pick up on things that the GP may have just brushed under the rug and said was okay. Because from their perspective, it is, it's falling within the range. There's nothing they need to do about it. It's not a disease yet. Um, but from where I said, I don't want to wait until it's developed into something. I don't want it to be a disease. I want to catch it before it even gets to that place. And so um, that would be the ideal scenario. But of course, most people come to a naturopath when they're at their wits end and they have tried everything else and they don't know what else to do. And they're, they're at their last resort. And that's where they come to us. And there's usually at that point, things are quite outside the optimal range, if not outside the, the full medical reference ranges. And the thyroid is one thing that I do see specifically being really under um, underdiagnosed or really missed, particularly if it hasn't developed into a full diagnosed thyroid condition just yet. It might be suboptimal functioning. 
Um, and often when we look at the thyroid through our GP, it's usually just through routine testing or they might just have a look at it if you've come to them saying, oh, I'm a bit tired, I'm struggling with weight or brain fog or whatever your symptoms might be. And they'll check out the TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And that can tell us a lot about the thyroid, but it definitely doesn't tell us the whole picture. So the TSH is actually made in the brain and then it comes down to the thyroid to stimulate it to make hormones. But it's not actually telling us what the thyroid hormones are because they're different hormones to TSH. So when I test the thyroid, I look at the TSH, but then I also look at the thyroid hormones and I look at the thyroid antibodies because that will tell me if there's an autoimmune presence there or not. So it's a lot more in-depth in terms of when I look at the thyroid. And then in terms of testing in general health, there's so many other options that we can do. Not everyone needs to do testing, depending on what they come in for, of course. But we can look at how's the gut microbiome functioning, what are your hormone levels looking. And if we do need to test things like the iodine that I was mentioning before, that's actually a urine test because that's the best way of measuring uh, iodine in the body. So that one can also be done through your GP, of course. But yes, naturopaths can order all of those things as well. With regards to all of these, it's a little bit, I'm not criticising GPs here, by the way, at all, but it, it's like the medical profession as it's set up, and possibly this is a governmental thing, probably is, to be honest, it's about fixing a problem. It's not about preventing a problem, is it? Really, if we've got, if we're tired or we're stressed or we're not sleeping, yes, it's, if you're over, 42 probably it's highly likely to be perimenopause but it could also be other things that are hiding in there and that's the issue isn't it and is the only way really of finding out exactly what's going on by getting this massive barrage of tests and testing for everything and then seeing whether you can put two and two together and come up with more sleep and less anxiety and all the rest of it is that the way to do it Oh, yeah, it is really challenging, isn't it? I really empathize with the medical profession because they're just so overrun and there's not much they can do in a 10-minute consultation for preventative care either. They've just got to get you in and out because they've got a million other people in the waiting room waiting for their attention. And I think they do brilliantly for prescribing and they do brilliantly for emergencies and um, physical ailments like cuts and broken bones and all that kind of thing. You definitely don't want to go to a naturopath if you've got, a, you've cut yourself or you've broken a collarbone or something like that. You just go to the doctor for that. But in terms of naturopaths, what, where we really excel is in these kind of vague, not feeling quite right, maybe something a little bit more chronic or long-term that doesn't really have a cure or it doesn't really have a quick fix. Um, because those things are usually environmental, which means our diet and lifestyle can make a huge difference in improving our health. And so when I think about um, how do you work out what's actually going on, it can be a bit of a maze and it can be a bit tricky and everyone tends to go on good old Dr. Google and that just leads you down a million different rabbit holes. But I think if you can and if you can afford and it's within your means to see a naturopath and to just have a chat with someone that will look at your health from a lot more of a broad lens, you're more likely to get a, a better understanding of what is actually going on because when you come in for a session with us, 
we're not just focusing on that one thing, which might be weight loss. We'll talk about that for a little bit, but then we'll talk about how's your gut health? How's your digestion? How are you sleeping? Are you stressed? What's your menstrual cycle like? Are you still menstruating? What's your family history? What do you eat? What kind of exercise do you do? So really understand you as a whole person. And then if it sounds like we really need to do some tests, if it sounds like, oh, I think we're better off working out if thyroid's involved or we really should be looking at what's happening inside the gut from a microbiome perspective, then we'll do testing. But I'd say probably probably only 50% of my patients actually need to do the testing when we first meet. Um, so not everyone has to do all of that because sometimes we get really beautiful results from just changing a couple of things in the diet, adding a little bit of extra fiber in or a bit of magnesium at night or getting you to drink a little bit more water. Sometimes it's those really simple things that make the biggest difference. And we don't always have to go and do all that testing and taking these really fancy treatments. A lot of the time it is just quite simple changes. It's interesting though that when people, I was talking to somebody recently and she said, oh, she went to see a naturopath when she started with perimenopause but And the naturopath gave her all these supplements, but she couldn't be bothered taking them and they didn't really have an impact anyway, so she stopped after a few weeks. But it's we expect instant results almost, and it's not that kind of, you don't get that. You might if you suddenly start taking iron tablets, but for the most part, you don't feel so much better straight away. It's, it's like it's a time thing, isn't it, for your body to, because... And I suppose think about it this way, is your body's gone, gotten to this stage slowly over a number of years. You're like that frog in a pot of water that's got a fire underneath it. You don't realise until it gets so hot that you're burning. And you've got to work your way back again, I suppose, haven't you? It's a long-term thing, isn't it? It's not a quick yeah. fix. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because it's something that I've had a little bit of a personal gripe with lately in terms of my industry in that there is seemingly a, a herb and a supplement for every little symptom and condition under the sun. And I think that's really missing the point of what naturopaths are um, meant to do. And that's the way that I would prefer to practice is that these herbs and these supplements are really beautiful supports for the temporary period that we're going to work together. And usually I give at least a three-month window before we even expect to see any shifts when we're working with hormones, and that could be thyroid hormones or it could be our reproductive hormones. But, yet yeah, there's not going to be a quick fix. And these herbs and these supplements are really to get you through this present moment, take the edge off whatever you're currently experiencing, but it's truly the diet and the lifestyle suggestions that's going to make the biggest difference. And that's what you can do ongoing essentially for the rest of your life without needing to come to a naturopath or without needing to have appointments. And there should be a time when most people can get to a point where they don't actually need to take anything. They don't need to take supplements. They don't need to take herbs because they have this really beautifully functioning and diverse, nutritious diet and their lifestyle's working for them, not against them. And that's the way that I think naturopaths were taught to to think at university, but I think because of this kind of give me relief, I need instant results kind of culture or pressure that we experience from some patients is that 
we're often just trying to find something to fix them ASAP. And that's where I think a lot of people end up with this big shopping bag of supplements and things like that. But that's, yeah, that's missing. It's missing the point. Yeah. If we can just be a little bit more patient and understand that might've taken us 10, 15, 20, 30 years, perhaps to get to this current point where we're, we're recognizing that our health is maybe not where we want it to be. It's not going to be fixed in two days. It's not going to be an overnight change. Usually it's going to take a bit of effort and a bit of commitment to stick to. But yes, I totally understand in terms of that person you were saying, having all those supplements, really hard to remember to take that many things because it's quite unnatural. Yeah, it's a tough one. I forget my supplements all the time too. So I I totally empathize. But yes, the diet and the lifestyle and the mindset, that's another big one, the mindset and the mental health which is something I often allude to in mental in naturopathy. Of course, that's not my qualification, that's not my profession, but it is a really important part of health and can work really beautifully in synergy with the physical stuff that we do in our naturopathy sessions. Talk to me about that, about the mindset side of things. What are you talking about specifically there? Mm. I think one of the biggest themes that I've seen lately, particularly in women, perhaps in that really early perimenopausal stage, maybe in that kind of 40s window, is this habit of real selflessness. And while that sounds really quite a beautiful trait to have, when we put every single person and their needs in front of our own. So that might be multiple kids, might be our partner, it might be every single person at work. And that means we come last. That's the kind of mindset stuff that I want to try and help shift in our sessions because it's like that dorky old saying to do with in the plane, you've got to put your own mask on first before you help your kids. Because if you're not going well and you're not functioning well and you're not healthy it's really hard to then provide the love and the support and the care and the energy and the stamina that you want to provide to everyone else in your life so that's a really big theme that I see a lot with women they're constantly running their kids from school sports to this to that to this activity working long hours cooking everything for everyone in the family doing all the washing doing just a million things that their needs have come last for so long, they almost don't even know what they like anymore or what their hobbies are or what they would do with an extra hour a week. So that's a big part of what I mean in terms of that sort of mental shift. But other things too is like body image, accepting where we are in our life and all of those challenging but beautiful things that we we go through as women throughout our life. It's interesting because Another lady I was talking to just recently, and I was so glad I actually had the opportunity to sit down and talk to her because she's going through perimenopause and she quit her job because she felt like she was losing her mind. She couldn't remember things that she could normally remember. So she quit her job because she didn't feel like she was competent anymore. And I managed to have a conversation with her or I did have a conversation with her about, look, it's just, there's nothing wrong with you. It's one of the menopause things, just your brain waiting to readjust to the different hormones. That's all it is. But this kind of education, that 
impacted her mental health so badly. It's And there's so many other women out there that are feeling the same kind of thing. They hit menopause. They can't remember anything. I was absolutely convinced my IQ had gone down about 20 points when I first started going through menopause. I thought I'd completely lost it. But it's having to or being able to have someone say to you, this is normal. There's nothing wrong. It's just something that your body's doing at the moment. And knowing that there's an end point, I think that's one of the most important things in your mindset and being well and healthy. And because just focusing on everything that's going wrong, (laughs) it's just going to lead to more things going wrong because that's what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think having like a little cheerleader on the side that's helping you not only feel better within yourself physically, but to also give you permission to just feel what you're feeling and you're allowed to go through changes in life. And we can't expect when we're 40 or 50 or 60 to feel the same that we did when we were 18 or 21 or 30. We're always going to change and evolve and our experience is going to be really different. And that's really normal. That's a very normal part of just evolving as a human. And yeah, I think it is a really shocking thing that I see in my beautiful menopausal patients where there is this real shame around how their body has changed, how their appearance is, like the way that they're able to keep up with things that they were able to before and really grappling with that and that change. And of course, that's really challenging because Maybe we're feeling like we're still 25, but our body says different. But I think, yeah, it's all really normal. And to just have that really normalized in that our hormones shift and that they're meant to shift and our hormones really are the way that our physical body communicates with the outside world. So when we have a different communication channel because our hormones have changed, of course, our relationship with the outside world is going to be really different too. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective before. Talk to me about that. Mm. So I guess in terms of our hormones, they're like the little carriers around our body and they essentially we get stimuli from the outside environment, which is interpreted by our brain and our neurons and our nervous system. And then our nervous system communicates with our endocrine system, which is our hormones. And so it communicates back and forth like that, which is why a lot of women feel really differently, even in that the PMS stage of their cycle. So their hormones have really shifted. And so the way that we're interacting with the outside world is really different. Sometimes we can be a little bit more snappy or a little bit more emotional and things feel really different. And so that's a really clear example that I think nearly every woman would have experienced at least once in her life. And then of course, during menopause, that shift is a lot more present because the hormones really are going through a huge change in that first year. And then as we shift away from cycling hormones to really steady stream of much lower levels of hormones, that means that we are going to communicate and receive information really differently than we did before. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. That's really fascinating, really fast. And it opens up a Mm. whole gamut of what's acceptable and okay, normal, I suppose, is a good word for it that I hadn't even considered because, yeah, we the world will appear differently to us when 
we have this many hormones to when we have this many hormones. Yeah, definitely. It's a totally different environment in the body and so it's going to be a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. Just briefly, because we are going to have to wrap up in a minute, but going back right to the beginning, Mm -hmm. tell me what lifestyle Mm -hmm. changes your mum made when you started looking at her thyroid. Yeah. My mum, along with having her thyroid underactive, which turned out to be Hashimoto, the autoimmune-driven thyroid condition, at the same time she also had insulin resistance, and that is a common what we would call like a comorbidity with um, thyroid, often other metabolic sort of things start happening because the thyroid really does govern the metabolism in the body. So that was also occurring for her. So dietary wise, we really shifted things and really tried to lower a lot of her favorites of lots of the white breads and the cookies and the biscuits and all of that kind of thing to really pull back on those not a complete total ban no way I would never do that to someone but I think really reducing that amount is pretty necessary especially if there is that insulin resistance and then to really ramp up the nutrient content of things and for her particularly protein was something that she wasn't um, consuming enough of that's one thing that can really support the function of the body and the metabolism and the incoming energy that we have for our health I also popped her on some herbal medicine and a couple of supplements which she doesn't take anymore so that was very much a a somewhat short interval of time that she took those things and now I think all she's taking is a little bit of magnesium in the evening to help with, with sleep and stress so that's a pretty pretty good win for her. And then, of course, getting out and moving, moving the butt. That's one thing that I think most of us could definitely do a little bit more, but nothing intense. She's not a high-intensity person, neither am I. So really just walking was the main thing for her. I got her into a little bit of yoga. So really, honestly, it's just the simple things like that, that prioritizing sleep, trying to reduce stress, and then, yeah, doing some really beautiful dietary tweaks and when it comes to diet, I know there's a lot of naturopaths and nutritionists out there that just love a, love a specific diet and love a meal plan and love counting things and measuring things. And that is brilliant for those people, but not for me. I am more of a let's add things in that are going to give value rather than take everything away and restrict everything. So that's the way that I approach diet for most people is rather than you having to cut all things out, let's just bulk things up with more greens or add more fruit in or add more of your lentils and your legumes in instead of having um, as many grains as before or things like that. But then one really important thing that I have to mention with that is that when it comes to thyroid, there is one player that really is good to either um, cut out or really reduce and that is gluten containing foods which I know a lot of people will not like to hear and the reason is that it is a very inflammatory food especially when there's autoimmune present so if it's just a a standard run-of-the-mill thyroid condition it's okay to have a bit of gluten but if you have either Hashimoto's or Graves I would highly recommend cutting out or just really drastically reducing your gluten or having gluten-free days throughout the week. So if you want to eat a little bit of gluten, make sure that you've got a couple of days of the week where you're having none of it. 
and that's just going to lower your inflammation and that's going to really support the thyroid. Wow. Thank you so much. Can you just tell people how they can get in touch with you? Everything will be up on the website, but yeah, if you can share it, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. So my website is just www.emmadrady.com. I have a couple of resources on there. I'm going to continue uploading some downloadable PDF resources for people. So that's a good place to to have a look at my work. And I also send out a monthly newsletter. I'm definitely not spamming people. So if you want to sign up to that, you won't be getting a million emails. It will just be the one a month. (laughs) And then, of course, I have Instagram and Facebook as well, just my name, Emma Grady. And in September, I actually have my first book coming out, which is called Women and Nature. And that book is really a collection of stories about women from around the world who have a really beautiful Um, relationship with the natural world amongst those beautiful stories, lots of photographs um, and also some health tips and health advice in relation to that kind of topic of how to connect more with the natural world. That will be on the shelves um, in September. Keep an eye out for that one too. Do. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. It's It's been really nice. It's been really good opportunity to share some of this, yeah, some of this knowledge that I've learned over the last five, 10 years that I think women, particularly in the perimenopause and menopausal ages, it would be lovely if we all knew if it was something that we could just have delivered to our letterboxes once we hit a certain age. But I think, yeah, thanks so much for having me on and allowing me to share this. You are welcome. Thank you so much, Emma. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some thought-provoking information that can make a difference in your life. See you next time.